0: Hello, my friend, Ruby Marsh here, and welcome back to another episode of the Trudy Podcast. Well, I say another, there has been a little break. We didn't record an episode for about a month. My apologies. But sometimes this being a creative side project now for me means that we do pause a little bit and there might be the occasional gap with episodes. I also have... Luna in here with me, and you know I occasionally talk about Luna because she seems to want to be right near me anytime I'm speaking into a microphone, but I'm hoping that you didn't hear that big snore then. If you did, that was not me, that was not my stomach, that was my dog. Okay, so today's episode is a really cool one, and I laugh recording this intro because I think for a lot of this episode, I was probably in awe of this guest and totally fangirling her because she was taking me back to a time in my life with some of the things that she spoke about when she talked about particularly her growing up and being a young girl and there's one bit where we talk about how our mothers used to buy magazines and you gotta think we both grew up in the 80s and the 90s and for probably you know the first 10 years, 15 years of my life, there was no social media. I think as a teenager, we got cable TV and got the fashion television channel, Fashion TV. And my sister and I would sit there, this is such a weird habit, it's like a tr- total trance that we were in, we would sit there on the weekends and just watch hours of fashion TV which was mostly just fashion shows, so people coming out on a catwalk, up and down, up and down, and there's, there, there was the occasional documentary on a designer or a model or something like that, photographer, but for the most part. <laughs> this is a bit random. Anyway, we used to absolutely devour magazines that mum would buy, which she only bought occasionally as well because magazines back then, it wasn't such a disposable thing that you just bought. They they were still expensive, and so you really treasured these, these magazines, and I just remember looking at the photos and thinking, wow, what a world these people live in, and obviously there's a whole other side to that, and that's why the photos are creating a fantasy and capturing moments in time to make you feel like that. But talking to Olga and then hearing about her journey as a fashion photographer living all around the world and what she's experienced, some of the places and people, it's, it was so cool, so, so cool. And so you probably hear me just um, light up a lot during this conversation. So yes, my guest today is Olga Popus, and she is from Finland But she's lived all around the world. She's lived in Miami, she's currently residing in Mallorca, and we have a connection through yoga, but we also now have this beautiful creative connection as well, and it was wonderful to dive into her story, hear a lot about how mentors have played a key role in her journey and I think as creatives, it's really underestimated the value of having mentors that may come in the form of coaches, they may come in the form of other industry peers, experts, business owners. She had an amazing, amazing mentor who was the founder of a, a very big uh, advertising agency. I couldn't get that word out. (laughs) And so she was fortunate to be guided from quite a young age and also her spiritual practice, her choice to convert to Buddhism at a fairly young age and how that has influenced how she controls her energy. I wouldn't say controls, just uses her energy to her advantage makes sure she creates the right energetic space when she works with people. There's so many fascinating things in this conversation, whether you love fashion and you're interested in that or whether you are a spiritual person or a creative person, you're going to get so much out of this episode. So I won't keep you hanging any longer. Let's dive into the conversation with Olga Poppios
1: the universe is friendly i had this amazing trust and i think i have seen angels when i have been child i have these vague memories of flashing mm. something some beings and i had this ma- amazing trust that there is something more and then in finland in the lutheran uh culture we are uh, the uh, kind of way of uh initiation is that we have uh at 14 year old you we get the communion and then you can be. I went to there, and then you had the choice to be like a big sister on the on the future camps when you were older. So I, I went to those camps for a few years to be kind of a big sister. But I had already started to study Buddhism and all the Eastern philosophy, and and I asked from the pre from the uh, priest who was a woman that can I also talk about this to the kids, you know? And she was so cool that she was like, yeah, that's fine, you know, it's philosophy and it's part of the history of the world so why not and then i ended up trying to really believe in jesus it didn't work out (laughs) because it didn't make sense to me there wasn't any actual proof for me that it would be working and then i really explored the Hare krishna it was too weird and didn't work and too long books and all that and and then I was in my early 20s and then I bumped into a DJ friend of mine. I was really big into the clubbing scene at that point. I had been for years when the techno scene started in the yeah. early 2000s. And, and this DJ woman, friend of mine, invited me to a picnic of the local Buddhists. And this was the same Buddhist practice as Tina Turner also practiced. And the movie had came out <clears throat> of her life also. And... I had seen this movie and they chanted Nam-myoho-renge-kyo and then I meet these people on the picnic and I'm like, oh my God, these people are normal and they have amazing energy. They have just really amazing energy. They were all walks of life. They were everything from the rich to the poor, from the dentist to the cleaner and everything, all all the spectrum of humanity. But they're... Uh, we call it Ishinin their their life force was just like that's magical I want to be like them and I didn't question I was like when I saw the example of them I was like that's my thing (laughs) and since early 2000s I have for 20 years I've practiced Buddhism and it was funny enough that at the same time I was diagnosed as AD like heavily ADHD and it Came, it, it was really giving me answers of my really colorful, colorful past already at 20 years. And, and then I was prescribed at that time when I found the Buddhist practice, I I was prescribed the drugs for ADHD. And in in Finland, they had this special paper that you would get and It had the number 666 on it. And I was oh. like, I was like, OK, this is not my thing. <laughs> So I was really guided. I have been very heavily guided. I have felt that there has been a guidance throughout my whole life. And I've listened to the signs and I believe that when you surrender into the synchronicities of the universe, what the universe is telling you, you are guided all the time. You have to be open for that. It can become in numbers. It can be, it comes very often through other people. And it's just, the universe is giving you signs all the time. So yeah. (laughs) Mm.
0: That reminds me of something I was reading recently in one of Yogi Bhajan's books on prosperity teachings. And they were saying that prayer is asking for the universe or God for what you want and intuition is your capacity to receive what comes to you in return I was like oh I'd never heard it explained like that and I was I was like this is perfect this is this (laughs) this is exactly what I needed to hear
1: (laughs) I got goosebumps there that is so true yeah so true
0: yeah yeah so tell me how did you end up in Mallorca and oh, involved thank you for in kundalini yoga i
1: have tried all the possible uh yoga yoga types and methods and everything from hot yoga to yin yoga and nothing really like was like passionately okay this is my thing this works But what happened was that I was uh, in an artist residency in the School of Visual Arts in New York uh, on the Lower East Side for one month. And I went to Bhakti Center over there, which is run by Hare Krishna people. But they had a kundalini yoga session. And I was like, oh, my God, this is weird. (laughs) (laughs) This is super weird. (laughs) And And I wasn't thinking about it more. But then I had been shooting a lot at that year. I had traveled like so many places, at least massive, big, uh, big shooting, at least five massive, big shooting trips. And I had kind of burned out maybe a little mm-hmm. bit. And I was also trying keto diet, which was not working like after all, because it's so heavily on on fat and all that. Yeah. I lost the kilos, but I was exhausted. And I found Guru Jagat's lesson in some of those apps that you have. Like, it's not Gaia, but it's something, some yoga app that you have many different types of yoga. And uh, Guru Jagat was leading a class with Shabbat Preet there. And I was like, oh my God, this woman is rocking. And this is working. This is working. <laughs> yeah. and She's a rock daughter, star.
0: <laughs> yeah. She is a rock
1: star. And I was like, oh my God, this woman has the vibe. <laughs> you know, like, I love this, you know being authentic her massive earrings her amazing costumes and I'm like oh my god this is my thing I love these people and so I started to practice kundalini yoga and it really really lifted me up back to my own game and gave me energy and it was really into the point it was to me it made sense and I love the functionality of that and to me my spiritual practice is buddhism and that was then my physical practice. And I got married that year to my husband who had been, we had been together already eight years at that point. And in his previous life, he used to be a DJ. So he was a lot in Ibiza and I had not been in Ibiza before. And we were thinking like, okay, well, why not to go to Ibiza for our our wedding honeymoon? And then, you know, by coincidence, there is a Rama festival on the next week from our wedding. And I'm like, babe, <laughs> how about we make a compromise that we do a yoga festival for one week and then we go to party into to Ibita. And he's like, okay, that, that sounds like a marriage, you know, <laughs> let's make a compromise do that. And my husband is from Ireland, uh, from Belfast, and her his family came to the wedding. So it was a party for five days. I at that time still drank alcohol and it was like a party we were drinking every day and you know like after that after drinking for five days we take off to Rama festival straight to Hari Jiwan's class on full moon (laughs) (laughs) and it was like you know 150 people in this small yoga studio in this you know, we everybody had to put their mats into a little square so everybody would fit in. And it is July in Mallorca, so it's about <laughs> plus forty degrees. And <laughs> I remember taking him. He's not he's not done yoga before, so I remember taking him to the class after this party of five days. And we are doing this kind of exercise that you have one hand is doing this and the other hand is doing that. And we're doing this for like eleven minutes. <laughs> And my husband was ready to go and punch Harijiwan's face. <laughs> <laughs> and the bad thing was that, of course, in Kundalini Yoga, everybody wears white, and he had black, <laughs> black uh, shirt and bright blue hair. So basically, Harijiwan was looking at him all this time. And but you know, after the yoga yoga sessions and every day immersing ourselves, cleaning ourselves, detoxing, mm. I was like. Looking from our balcony, I was looking I this is a cute place. I like this vibe. And we had been already planning at that point to move uh, somewhere. We were looking at Rome, move away from Helsinki because I had been living abroad in New York, Miami, big metropolis for most of my career. But then when we had kids, I we had to stay in Finland for a little while because the schooling system is amazing for them and to get the finished language and so forth. But it was about the time for us to move on. And I was like, this is going to be the place. And this was July. And I had this really like a massive pressure that we're going to move. We have to move now that we can't waste time. This is the time we need to go. And We sold everything. I had some huge gigs, which I did, some catalogs. And we got a little bit of money in our pocket for us to start the life in here and it was july and then it was november and we were in mallorca and four months after that it was lockdown.
0: wow so
1: I had to I had this this is the reason I know now that I had this like massive pressure and intuition that we need to go now there's no time to waste and then the whole world went upside down and I had been working in commercial photography mostly and advertising and fashion for 20 years of 18 years at that point and and then I had to reinvent myself Mm -hmm. in a way. And there was a beautiful beautiful yoga teacher who was mariana salinas who has who was teaching at rama at that point but mariana was opening her own studio satana works at that point and i had overheard her bringing uh deepak chopra to mallorca and i was like mariana i want to help you i am really good at organizing festivals i'm really good at marketing because i'm a graphic designer from before and i'm re- i can really help you with this and the day the uh, lockdown started, she opened her doors, but she was not able to get it, you know, open her doors physically. So, what we did was that, okay, Mariana hired me. She saved our ass to be able to stay over here. So, I started to get like monthly income for the time it was a lockdown. And and I was like, Mariana, you know what? We, we're going to go live from the first morning, we're going to go live. And you're gonna teach live every morning. Your kids are gonna teach uh teenagers learning yoga, so we are gonna get a following. So that started from there. And I was able to stay over here because of her, which I'm really, really grateful for. And now Sadhana Works is amazing, flourishing. And they just had Deepak Chopra finally over here. I was able to take his portraits, and you know, it was just amazing to start over here in Mallorca. So I was able to stay and here we are after four years.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. So for everyone that's listening, you can hear that Olga has had a very colorful life. She, from my introduction, has been a photographer all around the world, the likes of Deepak Chopra. She's photographed some amazing people. So tell me about how photography came into your life. It's the thing that I know you for, but obviously you're actually mm-hmm. a woman of many talents, a graphic yeah. designer as well. So it mm. sounds like you've always had a bit of a creative edge to you. Mm. Yeah. T- talk me through a little bit of your your history yeah. with creativity and when the camera came into your life.
1: Camera didn't come into my life until I, I was in my 20s actually. Yeah. And the history is So that I grew up in a house where my grandparents lived upstairs. We were a big family of five from two different marriages. And I was the first one to my father. And then I have one little sister, but I had three other siblings and they were really rocking it in the early 80s. They were like jet setting in the busy jet setting 80s life of (laughs) Finland, Helsinki and we had restaurants and um, we had a very big social life and <clears throat> and I asked es- my escape was upstairs to my grandparents so I was able to find my piece in there and my grandparents were artists so my grandfather was a sculptor and he was teaching also in school the woodworks and my grandmother was the scared piano teacher of the elite children <laughs> of the area where I lived <clears throat> so <clears throat> I was living in this kind of Two different worlds of business downstairs and party and you know flamboyance and then very kind of modest and artistic life upstairs so I had these two worlds and what my mother what my grandmother got from my grandfather was a sub- subscription of Marie Claire magazine yeah. which is in French and because she wanted to teach her fr- oh she wanted to learn French <laughs> she was this upscaled well, uh, lady and then I got to keep all the old ones. So I, you know, that was the time of the 90s, the supermodels and Versace mm. and all this kind of super beautiful life and Patrick Demarcher's photography and these amazing, iconic photographers. So I was keeping all this and I was making collages of the, of the photos and I just loved it. I just, th- these photos took me to another world. And my dream was then to become a model because that was kind of what I got from that. And it was quite soon that I realized I'm probably not going to be, be a model. I even applied to a modeling agency and my father came up with me and they didn't, didn't ask me back <laughs> when I was like 10 or something. And, and then I was thinking, OK, I'm going to be a graphic designer and, and, you know, not graphic designer, sorry, a fashion, fashion designer. So I had these kind of aspirations to be in fashion world and all this. And what happened was that my father got us the old Mac, you know, one of the Mm -hmm. first ones, the boxy one. And and then I started to play with that. And that happened to have a Photoshop inside of it. You know, the first, first early versions of Photoshop, which is 40, 40, not 40, 35 years ago. Uh, So I started to play with that. And... Fast forward to uh, when I'm like 18 or so, I had been doing flyers for, for clubs and that was how I ended up to be a graphic designer. I had left the school, at that point I already was away from school and I was doing flyers and, and being very busy on, on the graphic design part. And then uh, I was together at some point in my early 20s, I was together with the guy who was who was really, really famous. We got together just before he got really famous. He was a rap star and his weed dealer happened to be a a photography teacher in a school, which was for photographers who were already in the industry, who already knew cameras. They had access to studio equipment and I didn't have that. I didn't have any other than experience in than in Photoshop. So basically I knew the darkroom, but I didn't know photography. So he came to me like, Olga, you know what? The next course, the next class is gonna be the first one in digital, you know, the transition from analog to digital. And you know already dark room. So if I teach you all this summer and you come to me with film, I'll tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, and we're gonna get you into the school. And my father was so kind. He he sponsored me with the films and the camera, and I went, you know, and shot all the time on the summer. We were touring with my boyfriend on his rap gigs, and you know, I was I was already shooting like famous people when I was, when I was practicing. So, on the backstage, uh, you know, Black Eyed Peas, I was shooting. Wow, (laughs) and people like that. Crazy yeah like <clears throat> blurry photos of black eyed <laughs> 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 and uh then I got in and then I was shooting already record companies on my first year so I got quite famous already on my on my first year of photography
0: wow okay yeah. this is this is set to be a very cool conversation because The more you talk, the more I'm like, okay, let's go deep. Let's go deep. (laughs) So here's that deep conversation that you were telling me that you wanted. So one thing I picked up from the conversation that you had with Linda on her podcast was this importance of mentoring. So it sounds like you were very fortunate in that a lot of people saw talent in you, possibility or just a person, a a young kid that was passionate I mm. and maybe all of the above right and so they took you under their wing and helped you, got you into um, the photography school, art school but then I know that you had some mentors or one particular mentor who's very well known for a period of time and that really helped you a lot so talk to me about your history with mentors and and how important that was for you especially as a photographer I think it's one of those things that the arts mentoring is has a long history we had Mm -hmm. patrons we had mentors for hundreds of years And now it's something that I think is probably not available or not something that a lot of people seek out. It's just not part of, uh, we might do like get business support or whatever, but true mentors. So I would love for you to just talk to your experience of mentoring. Mm,
1: It has been everything to me for the the biggest thing about mentoring is that the mentor doesn't see the bullshit what you see in front of you
0: or what's going on in your head too yeah. you know yeah. and, and
1: your limiting <laughs> beliefs you know they don't see those limiting beliefs they see your potential and they they are tapping into that frequency and they're taking you along with that that's the biggest thing about mentoring and it was when i was about 14 and i started to play around with graphic design I was a nanny to a, uh, to a very famous advertising company director. He It was the biggest advertising company, Hasan Partners at that time. And I was the nanny for him. And he took me under his wing, believing in me and to somebody to believe in you. And he was showing me uh, examples of works of other who he respected as creatives he was guiding me to see expose me to great work so to for me to have a high level of quality mm. to understand what is the quality what is really a high level of quality and creativity and the driving force for me on the back burner in in here has been that I have felt as a failure since I was 14. Really? <laughs> yeah yeah I really? still do and I have massive jealousy oh. and imposter syndrome, a failure in 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 the bottom of there because everybody in my family think that I thought that I was genius. you know <laughs> I was so creative and so I loved books and I knew I had a good memory and I was, I was having a great logical thinking and great expression, but I failed in my family to deliver my, grandmother thought that I should be a concert pianist because I was so creative. I was playing piano when I was three years so, old, like this, when I didn't see the, the keys. <laughs> so she was, oh, she's going to be a concert pianist. So I, I disappointed so many people in my uh, very close to me that that failure has been my fuel. And always when I make creative work, I think that I could have done a little bit better. <laughs> so I... Turn this poison into medicine. And I have an open mind of a student mind all the time. Even though I was turning into a mentor now myself, I'm still having mentors myself and having this very humble attitude that I could be a little bit better still. And this is the great thing about mentors, is that they will take you to the fast lane yeah. of. because they have gone through the hurdles themselves and there is systems of pricing your work which work and there are systems of the creative process and tools if somebody has gone through that lane and made those mistakes before it's an absolutely crucial thing to tap into that and to really be selective of the people who use who you let Into your into your energy, and this has been a big lesson for me because I'm so I really want to teach my all the lessons, the spiritual lessons, the uh, life lessons, and the work and the techniques. But then people come and eat you out. Also, that I have learned now. I'm 42 years old. I think I've learned that in the last one year. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm curious because we're we're similar in some ways in that we mentor small business owners, solo business owners who really are doing a lot of their learning for the first time and they don't often have a lot of support. They're out there on their own. They're not running a big agency and have a big team and and all mm-hmm. of that. How I'm curious, how easy was it for you to say, to yourself this person what they're telling me is valuable did you listen or did it take a bit for you to listen and then implement I'm curious to know what that was like for you because he was obviously so far ahead and so successful in some ways it's very easy to go well they know the path. They know the right way. Mm. They've made all the mistakes that you say. But sometimes when you're young, you also have a bit of resistance. And mm. yeah, so I'd love I'd love to just hear your experience around that.
1: I didn't have any resistance. I was very yeah. grateful for everybody who was sent onto my path. And I don't remember ever doubting any of their guidance. I maybe didn't do it because it wasn't my path. Uh, of doing it exactly as they told me and then I did my own path and then uh, it's just that authenticity which comes from the genuine intention from that person who wants you to do well that you don't even question that you just know it these Mm. people are very genuine in their wish for you to do well So I didn't question that. What I would question now these days, because when you're scrolling through Instagram and there's people giving these quick hacks on things, (laughs) that's really confusing. (laughs) That's like super confusing that delivering, like deliver this and this and that so quick that really like, I believe that that's, that's the hard part these days.
0: Discernment, discerning Uh, what's the right advice to take and not.
1: Yeah, because we have all taken so many quick courses on internet and not ever even doing them, finalizing yeah. them. <laughs> so this is why I feel that in person mentoring is just so different from instead of taking these fast courses, and it will you will feel it in your body. I feel that when you're really uh, getting into the sphere or energy of somebody who you know that you can trust, you can feel it in your in your heart.
0: Mm. Mm. one thing you mentioned that this particular mentor helped you with was pricing knowing how to price knowing how to value yourself as a creative and I come from a creative background I think I might have mentioned to you that I was an architect for a while and then found myself doing something completely different and so that's been a wild journey but working in high-end residential architecture was such an experience because everything cost so much money. The value was Mm -hmm. high. The fees were high. The value was high. Mm -hmm. But then I went out on my own and started my business many years later. And just knowing, A, how to price, where to start, but also being able to to look at my experience and everything that I'd done that may have not been conventional as well, but still say there's value in this uh, as a as a coach. But also, I think creatives experience challenges with that as well. I think look, every business owner does, but particularly creatives because. We put so much into our work. We put our heart and our soul, and and we love it. So we don't often think that we should be paid because we love it. You know that old thing of, if you if you weren't getting paid for what you're doing, would you still do it? And I think that can become a bit of a trick for people because then they don't price accordingly. But what what is your your thoughts around valuing mm-hmm. yourself as a creative? Let's start there.
1: Do you uh, would like to hear from the money point or valuing as a value in itself?
0: <laughs> well, I think they go hand in hand, don't they? But oh, maybe I we have... can start with valuing yourself personally, and then we can talk about putting.
1: Yeah, I was really interested. You, you sent you sent me this question. I had to actually take a moment this morning journaling about this, and I I got this insight that it. The value in yourself comes to actually doing the work and showing up for yourself continuously and being every day committed to work. And that value becomes from feeling that value when you're creating it and showing up and you're creating value through... Uh, also creating value with collaboration and society and how you show up to the world and, and how you create value to the humankind in general. Mm. <clears throat> so, there, so there's so many aspects of value that there's beauty, value and benefit. Those are all uh, in itself a uh, concept which makes a joyful career. When you're able to create beauty, and then you're getting paid for that and you're creating b- benefits. and then it then came to my mind the beautiful concept of ikigai in japan yeah. I, yeah. and and yeah. I had, and i i had to write it down actually that the all the uh, concept four concepts concepts of that that what you love and what you're good at and what you get paid for and what you deliver what the world needs and then comes uh the benefit of that that you have to live your life and how do you price yourself Mm -hmm. and i have turned this whole thing upside down in a way that creators are so used to looking at other creators prices or expecting the client to tell you what your value is. which is at this level when we are very good professionals it doesn't go like that (laughs) it sometimes does you know that they have a budget that you need to work on that but then you have to have a structure that you understand what your how much does your life cost how much does your dream cost dreams and your dream life how much and what is the difference of the current and the future self of you and this is what i would mentor with my uh mentees and it's not only photographers but creative people in general that how to Create the value. How much does your hour, your day, your life, your year cost, including the two or three months of holidays? Maybe you want to have with <laughs> your <Yeah>. children, <laughs> not only two weeks or four weeks, you know. Yeah. Because as creators, we need free time. We do need that. We need to be able to relax, to take care of ourselves, and to have a very calm nervous system to be able to create from from a very beautiful space. Which is hard and we, if we are creating from stressful place it's we're not delivering the best work we could we are delivering mediocre and this is the point we need to tap into the genius of us and this is why it's important to price yourself so that you're able to have that free time and there is also this kind of weird guilt that that <laughs> of the free time you know that's just i want to turn that upside down also and what I do with my mentees and with my how I teach in my course also in Masters of Life, which is a summer course for creatives for six days, that I have a whole day of teaching of how to act. I prepare the students, first of all, to dream bigger before they come to the course. And then we dive deep into what does your life cost and then I have a yearly 12-month plan, how you fill your months and what kind of projects do you have. So it, there's a system for that. And I have, have many mentors, many, many mentors who I have picked p- bits and pieces, which I have come into myself, who I am now today. And all of the I've picked all the things which work for me. And money has been a really big thing because we need to be able to create sustainably so to be to be able to create that value which comes from the heart which makes you happy and touches other people's hearts and creates value for your client or your art it's just you know it's everything is connected on that so that's why spiritual practice or breath work or whatever you find the best for you is so important and I have a history of addiction myself, uh, through which which caused really deep with the with ADHD and dopamine, and you know how to control that. And being sober is also one of the self love tools. Mm-hmm. What I what I have found, and to me, it has been after many years of addiction, mostly. Uh, like recreational stuff but you know the, the whole culture of alcohol and you know you only live once kind of thing yeah. that's you
0: know, <laughs> yeah. The feeling of FOMO. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah you know FOMO moment okay these guys are partying I have to be part of that because we only live once and otherwise I'm going to have a massive FOMO fueled with alcohol the whole culture of this is like no you know this is I need to take care of myself to be able to deliver the best work, which brings me value and to society also. Everybody has different paths, but I have found uh, this to be a very crucial part also. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that that's one thing I also got from the kundalini practice as well as is the the alignment between your creativity and then how much life force prana you have in your body. And that basically creativity and energy are just so intrinsic. And I know myself and you, you've probably experienced this, that at times when you're depleted energetically and you feel like you have to be on creatively for some reason whether you have a job or you've got to do your marketing and it just doesn't come mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know if you had yeah. experiences yeah. like that where you're like oh crap i've got this job and i just feel yeah. like i can't show up and do my best work
1: yeah once a week i have
0: that
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do on Thursday.
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, but yeah. When, you're,
1: when you're having the tools and you are sober, then you are able to address that in a constructive way. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. And Kundalini Yoga has given me that. And also my Buddhist practice, because when I chant, I it's also kind of a breathwork. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I always chant, like I have this massive book where, where I chant, and just all the downloads and all the ideas come, come to me at that time. And I'm just, you know, when I'm leading, we, we are having Buddhist meetings and there's, you know, five to ten people behind me chanting in front of our mandala and I'm just writing my book, you know. <laughs> so you always go back to the practice, which is keeping you aligned with the universe, mm-hmm. uh, the universe, uh, the benevolent force of the universe, because there's so many different frequencies and you want to tap into that creation creational and loving uh benevolent energy and and it gives so much hope and this is so important hope is so important because we are going through life and sometimes it does feel hopeless and those things where i don't want to show up i just don't want to show up
0: and that's okay too but i have hope you Mm, know mm, mm. i love that and something so needed over the last few years right yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need yeah. to believe that there's something else on the other side of this at yeah. some point in time or just in your everyday moments that that yeah. uh things aren't really as bad as they seem or there's other there's always another way Yeah, there's always and a also, way through I, every block <laughs> yeah and I, I would love to
1: add a Buddhist concept what we have is that we every, because everything is energy And all the negative things is energy also. And we have a concept of 10 worlds, which lowest is the hell and the highest 10 is Buddhahood. And all the nine until uh, Buddhahood have positive and negative sides. So all these states, even the hell has a positive constructive side in it. So we are able to turn, we have this saying that we are able to turn poison into medicine. Mm. And there's always a seed of beauty and, and progress and change in, in, the, in those lowest, lowest states
0: of beingness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned you have a couple of two daughters, is that right? Yes. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I think I remember you saying that, At some point you decided to or they've they've been on the road with you at points, maybe Mm. not continuously. And I really find it so fascinating talking to through the podcast, having the opportunity to talk to so many brilliant creative women who are not only leading in their careers, but they're also leading in their homes and doing things in conventional and unconventional ways whatever you believe to be conventional and unconventional right but I think I was really curious when I heard you mention that so how how was that how's how's that been for you and for them and was that an easy decision like talk me through I'm, that I'm gonna
1: things. I'm gonna tell this even though like uh my pro- my children maybe <laughs> might hear this someday they are yeah. 12 and 15 but i never had a dream to be a mother i really didn't have that kind of like oh my god i want to be this mother and i want to build a family Oh, that someday i'm gonna get married i never had that at all and when i got pregnant by accident (laughs) so i was really not sure if i want to keep that because i understood that oh my god this is going to change everything and i was 20 27 at that time and i was i i was just you know visiting uh, Barcelona <clears throat> from Miami my old boyfriend and, and we kind of got back together and I love Barcelona and I'm like wow okay he was 10 years older from me and and then I decided to keep her which I'm so grateful that I did yeah. and I just made a decision and ma- not even maybe a conscious decision I, I was just like you know what I'm gonna continue my life like I am living now, they're, they're welcome. Oh, this person is welcome to my life, but I'm not gonna change it <laughs> because of that. I'm not gonna turn into this mother who, whose whole life is that baby. So I have a life, and please, you're welcome to come and join. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <clears throat> so this was my attitude from quite quite from the start. And it was very unconventional in many ways. I would to take my, my daughter to long restaurant you know, evening dinners and exhibition openings and, you know, busy Barcelona life. And I would, I would just have the baby with me. And 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 she would be, I would have, you know, her not in the shoes at the time when I'm breastfeeding, but uh, she would be sometimes in the shoes and in, in a stroller with an assistant or or so forth and then I had to leave uh, that father when when she was a bit over one year old and I started everything over in Helsinki I moved to my parents place and in and then I got <clears throat> pregnant again after one year or so and I was okay uh, I, I've done this before it's gonna be Uh, The situation was that the father was not around. So I was doing it alone. Wow. Uh, So we welcomed another baby with with the baby, with the big sister together. And we were taking care of the baby together with the big sister who was three years old at that point. And and, and I, I started to travel again. I went to Miami and Barcelona with the two girls. I had some help from there, of course. You know, I've been always blessed to have help around me. You can't do it alone or you can maybe, but I was blessed to have, I was doing it so much alone. But but what was really crucial that I had my Buddhist practice, I knew that there's no limits to my dreams. I can have everything, what I want. When I was introduced into the practice of this Buddhist practice, it was very clearly said to me that please put down a list of achievements, goals, actual proof what you want to see that this practice works. You don't want to believe something blindly and everything came through everything from monetary to family situations so I knew that I had a tool to break through the walls which was really high in front of me and so I always had a lot of hope and massive dreams and then I found amazing amazing another Buddhist who is now my husband and He came to the family on one night, he just had, we were friends for over a year chatting in Skype. Remember Skype? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were chatting when I was in Miami and he was in Belfast and we were just having challenges as Buddhists. We're putting these challenges that we're going to chant about this and work, you know, money, da-da-da-da-da, all that. And then we fell in love and we had never met. And he came to, when I went to Helsinki, he came to Helsinki. And in one night he got a daughter one, one year old and another daughter of four years old. <laughs> and yeah, so that that's how I did it, <laughs> just doing it
0: they they. your daughters must have so many stories though now of yeah, those and experiences four and, yeah. wow four languages yeah Finnish English
1: uh, Spanish and Catalan Spanish
0: Catalan yeah 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 because
1: yeah. We moved over here and the school system is in Catalan so four years ago I'm like whoop there you go again learn a new language <laughs> because when we moved to Mallorca I didn't I put them to the Waldorf Education Steiner School where they have been in Finland but it was all expats and for me it was very important to get accustomed to the local culture to give them the opportunity to be here as locals and go to the university and not just to hang out with expats so they are studying Catalan now <laughs>
0: Amazing. Amazing. That's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, I, I it's, it's interesting in here in Australia now, and I'm not sure, I am, I feel like this is happening in the US. It's probably happening in New Zealand where I grew up, but there's a lot of parents that look at what you did with your daughters and from the perspective of, of taking them with you and going on the road, so to speak, and they they're doing that it's it's a really cool time i think to be and you certainly paved paved the way for many people in that respect yeah. but now it's almost it i think after the covid period a lot of people went on the road and they traveled around australia have you been to australia before
1: i haven't but as oh. i told i have many mentors from yes. australia and yes. one Cla- clairvoyant told me that you have the energy that you should be in Australia. I'm like, there's a fire for you. You have such a fire. And I just love the humor of you guys. You're so easygoing <laughs> and I feel a lot of calling to co- come and visit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. You definitely should. But I, what I was, what I was saying is that the country's so big that, so it's like the U S to go on the road, you can be on the road for a whole year. And that was Something that a lot of parents have done now is pulling the kids out of school, homeschooling, getting on the road. And so it's really cool to see that people are embracing this idea of giving their kids this worldly experience and that you don't have to be tied to a school or you don't have to be tied to one place.
1: Who knows for them because I could not homeschool at, at that level when we are going to the, you know, from, from like maybe seven-year-old, yeah, but on from the, from there, I don't have the patience. I have so much passion to my own career. I don't have yeah. time. Homeschool my children, you know, that's another job. Like, that's yes. amazing. I, I, I did find schoolings on, on, online. There was a really cool little uh, big website, which is called abcmouse.com. Just a hint, for anybody who has under eight-year-old kids that they were learning to read and calculate. So I would have those on all the time in English so the kids would grab English and all this kind of understanding of numbers and letters until the age of seven but to me I would not do homeschooling because I do I question very much the system and my kids know that Mm. but I think the uh the ability to have authority to give you tasks what to do is important (laughs) (laughs) and I don't want to be that authority I want to be a mom I don't want to be an authority, so I, I I found that really hard to be an authority also for my children, other than the mom authority, you know. Mm. So respect, I respect that a lot. If if you're able to do that, but that requires like it's it's it takes time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I never thought about it like that. That's actually a really <laughs> interesting way to to put it because it's similar almost to my husband and I running a business together. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, you have to separate out the roles. Don't you? That yeah. when, when are you the parent, when are you the teacher? And then sometimes they might feel like you're always the teacher and not the, yeah. the loving yeah. parent, you know? So yeah. yeah, it's um, it's a balance. And, and I think, my belief is certainly, and people can disagree with this, but that it's, it all starts in the home anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and you're setting that foundation and I'm yeah. not, I'm not a parent yet, but certainly I yeah. think over the last few years, it's just been interesting to see the options that are available and how much think- do you give over to the system versus exactly. you know, t- taking your own lead. Yeah.
1: And I I believe that me as a woman, as a mother, as an entrepreneur, as an artist, I am the example of questioning the system. We have two kids and the older one is clearly going to university. And the other one, I'm not really not sure about that. If she will finish high school, to be honest, (laughs) two very different, two super different kids. And I'm embracing both of them. And I'm really, really trying to uh, tell them that the school grades is not there to define you if you're a good yeah. person or not or if you're you know good part of the society that will not tell you that and that is the important thing but i think we need to be able to play with the system also it's it's you know that okay you're, you're in it so you are able to question that and when you play with the rules you have the ability to kind of also break the rules <laughs>
0: I, th- I think that was Guru Jagat that used to say uh, occasionally in her classes that we need light workers in every part of society. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's an extension. That's an extension of what you're talking about, that just yeah. because you're you have your practices and your ideas about how you want to live your life and your values and morals and all that. It, it, it's sometimes harder to if you decide to separate yourself than to take all that and be able to help people be creative, change lives in in the system. Yeah. It's a it's a exactly. constant uh it's a constant mental thing that <laughs> absolutely <laughs> me. absolutely yeah.
1: and there is no black and white so you know situations. There's there's so many different colors and so many different hues of being part of the society. And I just have this amazing trust that if my my uh, youngest daughter asked me like mommy how am i going to get rich I'm like <laughs> okay <laughs> you when you find what you're really passionate about and you can't stop doing it then i will tell you the route to make money with that but you have to really find the way the the thing what you are interested of and what lights you up and keep continuing doing that having perseverance and you know Mm -hmm. there is so many ways of of living this life but some might find it in one thing at school also
0: yes (laughs) yes you know yeah and and I'm I think having the contrast I'm so grateful for Mm -hmm having a university education going through a school system in some ways now I know both sides of yeah. and now entrepreneurship it's like oh this is like the total other end of the spectrum so without that contrast just like you have with sobriety and the other side okay. of it you know all of these contrasts yeah. we we can't exactly. ever it's hard to make sometimes sound decisions without them yeah
1: yeah, we have, because we are here for the human experience to grow and we can't grow without the the experience. Mm. We have to have the embodiment of, of the experience in so many levels and people have different kind of paths to do that. And that's why I just feel that the basic guilt as a feeling is just so destructive because mm. we bless all the processes that has brought us to here. Because of that contrast, what we need, that okay i did that i know exactly why i don't want to do that
0: <laughs> one thing i'd i'd love to go back to because i think this is this is important to touch back on from earlier in our conversation you were speaking about valuing yourself and you still battle in what we might call imposter syndrome anxiety uh self doubt all of these emotions and thought patterns and sometimes unhelpful habitual things that that Mm. can influence us how do you how do you work through that
1: you just go to the cold water you just do it you know you just do it and what you want to do is that you want to surround yourself with people who you can trust who are better than you in something so that's what I have done I always I've always worked with teams in my photography which is you know makeup artist stylist designer or whoever and I've always surrounded myself very consciously with people who are better than I I am in some way you know that I look up to maybe on different and different kind of things but um to me it's It's about nervous system, of course, that I'm able to deal with that without going into full mode panic. And I still have before every shoot, my family knows this, that please don't talk to me before the shoot. Don't ask where is my earphones, like really, (laughs) because my brain is not there. It's just so focused on the task in the front because Mm -hmm. I just want to do so well. And it's a great thing because I have a very high standard for myself. I have absolutely so high standard that it makes me freak out. But it's but it's also the, for the respect for the work and for the respect yeah. for the client and the respect for myself that I I can't fuck this up, you know. I just can't. It doesn't matter if it's a free collaboration, not paid job, or if it's a shoot for Vogue or or some some, you know, big big client with you know ten thousand to two hundred thousand euro budget it's the same to me if it's a portrait shoot. I just want to do so well that I do meditation, I pray, I have my own rituals before that, which is very needed. And I prepare, I just, I just prepare really well. And I have great assistants who I can trust with. And I am just very careful of the team energy, whos who I'm bringing into the team of myself or, 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 or the whole project. Uh, there are certain makeup artists who I can work with only because I know that the energy who, because the person who I'm shooting with, that makeup artist will be touching that person for an hour and a half before she comes to the, in front of my camera. So that energy is so crucial <clears throat> that I can, I, I have only shot with one makeup artist in Mallorca <laughs> in four years, only, only with one. I only use her if she's not available and reconsidering of changing the date and I do, because the it's so crucial to surround yourself with the best. And I only work with the best and, and to in my eyes, there's always more best, you know? <laughs> you can always go up the ladder a little bit. And we were just talking with my good friend Doris, who used to be the head editor of Vogue. We were uh, in Germany, we were shooting, shooting early morning on Saturday. And she was just telling me that she's been shooting with the top, top, top photographers. And it can be horrible experience because of the insecurity of the client who thinks that because they are the client, they need to say something. And that is usually to criticize. The process just to have to say something and that can put the whole you know you know the need of being validated you know in because there's a budget you know so uh that can break the whole team so if you're not really strong with your own nervous system and your confidence and your team that it can break the whole energy and the quality is mediocre mm-hmm. And that Doris said that that happened very often because of the pressure of the high caliber photographer and the budget and the client and all that. So, yeah. What was the question again? I forgot. <laughs>
0: That's perfect. No, that, Oh, I love no. it. I love it. You, you're, you're, this whole conversation is just perfect. And even thinking back to what you were saying with uh, getting your Murray Clear magazine. And my mum, and it would have been the English version, bought that magazine growing up and Vogue. And so I'm having all of these intense flashbacks talking to you. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. And it's it's really inspiring me. So thank you. That's just I'll put a pin in that. <laughs> no, nobody really oh. needed to know that, but this is just so wonderful. So Uh, One thing I wanted to just ask you out of curiosity, because I think you've, you've met probably so many amazing people in your life. And what, what was one of the most amazing photo shoots that you've, you've done that stands out as a career highlight for you? And I'm not yes. saying that it has to be someone famous, but yeah, what's an experience? Yeah, it, wasn't,
1: it wasn't a famous because it to me it, it was so normal to be surrounded by famous people. And
0: that's they're normal me, people, right? Yeah. The yeah, end of yeah, the day, yeah. Huh? At
1: the end of the day, you know, they're super casual and everything just, you know, their wish is also to just to make great work and to and to deliver and, and to create value that's their deepest wish and and we are all there together so it wasn't you know one of those experiences um it was an experience where in my early early career when I I I think I maybe was still in the school but I had started to practice the Buddhist Buddhist practice and I had goals in my list and I get a call from Iceland and they are calling me like hey this is Cola from Eskilmo Models in Iceland. We are having this uh, big, sim- uh, like we have 10 photographers. We are flying in from all over the world. All the expenses are paid. There will be a car waiting for you at the airport. You have money to shoot and vouchers to stay wherever you are on the island. We just want you to shoot beautiful pictures of Iceland. And it's going to be an exhibition. Uh, the, fly- the the date would be after two days. Would you be available? And I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just check my
0: very <laughs> <Yeah>. busy schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and what happened was that I jumped to the plane and there was a, co- no, I didn't jump to the plane. I it, I almost didn't get to the plane and I was chanting, I was chanting this nam yekyo, nam yekyo, nam to get into that plane because I have to be there. there. There was other photographers, you know, flying in at the same hours. And, and then I get an upgrade to the business class. <laughs> and I am like uh 22 or 23. And the feeling when the plane goes down to the amazing landscape of iceland with you know craters and that you know like oh my heart went like like this that this is the most amazing thing ever and i'm having champagne in my hand and japanese tourists next to me on business class and there's a car waiting for me at the airport and it was just beautiful and it was the time of my space and i connected with other people on the island so i i hired myself just friends new friends from the island to show me the most you know secret places so i had i had guides for the whole week throughout the island i was just going around the island i have different nature guides guiding me to the secret spots and there was one place which was abandoned house next to next to a waterfall and it was an abandoned house from 40s and everything was untouched everything there was books and you know uh pill boxes and you know still laundry or uh, laundry on on the wires and wow it was like this is like the most you know magical thing and it was the secret place who only locals knew and nobody it was it was you know Nobody had touched it, but they wanted to respect the time and the history of that place. And I met Buddhists over there. I met another, a, a, a guy whose uncle was the leader of the local Buddhist of the same Buddhism. And I was chanting throughout the Iceland. And... And then when we met at the end of the of the of the of the week with the other photographers delivering our pictures and so forth, we had a good party and I missed the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I almost left. <laughs> and this a lady who was organizing it. She was running a modeling agency and she had just survived of cancer herself, and her son had died of epileptic uh, seizure.
0: Oh.
1: And this was very recent to her. And I, ha- I was also reading the book called Conversation with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And that was, to me, like revelations after revelations. I was just reading, like, how the universe works, how everything is like, like you know, oh, like, I was so excited about life. And I was ab- able, able to spend two days with this lady chanting my Buddhist practice with her and sharing my young 22-year-old or 23-year-old mind, my beautiful insights of this amazing universe which is so exciting you know and she got maybe a little bit of hope from me and we mm-hmm. were able to stay in contact with her many years after that and she became kind of a very I, I know that we have a karmic deep connection with her but I was needed to go to her life at that moment to give a little bit of hope and she was washing my laundry and making me sandwiches you know what she would be doing for her son you know who had just passed away a 19 yeah. year old yeah, yeah. so
0: that was, like,
1: A beautiful most amazing experience.
0: I love it I love it I love it let's finish off with you sharing a little bit about Masters of Light it's Mm -hmm. a retreat goes for six days yeah so how did that experience come about because you've got also a collection of other amazing mentors. I I look at all the people going and I'm like, wow, okay, she's really got the the best <laughs> of the best there. This is this <laughs> this is going to be amazing. So tell us all about about Masters of Light.
1: Oh my god, thank you so much for yeah, asking. Yeah. So I was just, you know, I am so excited about this and it it just came from from an idea I was asked by Finnish Uh, photographers that if I could do a master class and I was like well yeah I could I could show how I shoot but that's you know something you can get from internet you know like it's I I have been building my career based on so many other different elements which come out manifest as photographs Mm
0: -hmm. and I
1: have these amazing amazing people around me that I want to give access to for other people also and Then I was like, oh, it has to be a summer camp. And there's this absolutely beautiful villa called Osamayor over here, where we have been with Rama. And I've been on many, many retreats uh, photographing over there. And I was like, this, I need to bring people over here. And it is built on a sacred site. They had, when they were building the place, they had to stop the building because they found Taleolithic. ruins over there so it has been like a worship site it's on a hill looking down to the valley and it's a very 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 special energy over there and the owners Brenda and Roland have put so much heart into that that I I had all the elements I'm like I need to do something with this so it started as a camp for photographers and then people started to sign up who are not photographers and I'm like what's going on over here <laughs> oh my god <laughs> this is amazing how can I serve these people and you know then I had then I had the realization that I-, I tell a little story if we have time yeah uh, but my my father got sick from very very serious depression at the time when I was in or before actually when I was in photography school in my teenager years yeah. and and when I had when I was in photography school I had my first camera which was digital and then I had to upgrade to a better one so I gave my old digital camera to my dad and he had been doing photography as a teenager and then he started to photograph flowers in our garden and he started to get better because Mm -hmm. he started to recode his subconscious mind of finding beauty around him and I, this was like a revelation to me that oh my god you can record your subconscious from mental illness not mentally but depression you know mm. that you can which is a mental health illness issue that you can record your subconscious by actively seeking beauty around you and photography camera is the most democratic tool for that so we understood that okay this is meant to be for everybody Photography is meant to be of everybody because it's so accessible and it's so handy to get around with you and just to travel with you with a camera or or even a phone. And so it expanded to a business camp for all creatives, people who resonate to the word creative. <laughs> I have people who are, there's so many people who are not phot- photographers into uh, joining, joining the camp now. And I I understood that it has to have yoga and meditation in it. So I'm bringing all the tools which has worked for me and I'm bringing them for the best of the best who I happen to be uh, very fortunate to be surrounded with because I've experienced their practice and how they teach. So I know this works through them. And we are having this also combining numbers and how to grow your business Mm. in the Aquarian age, which means now. This is very different from 20 years ago. We are selling all the time ourselves in a way because we are exchanging our energy so we are exchanging our energy with the people who feel magnetized towards us so we want to take care of that energy but we also want to have the numbers in place what what we're selling and how we are selling it so all these elements come together and when we are able to work with these elements going inside inside tapping to your higher self who sees the future self of you, which is amazing <laughs> and abundant, and to tap into that vision and to be able to deliver through that vision to yourself and your clients and your work and your life and your family, it's the successful life of a creator. <laughs> so this name, Masters of Light, came from the song that we sing, Let a Long Time sunshine Shine. shine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. in, in
1: uh, kundalini yoga because when you follow the light within you it will take where you need to go so we have to be masters of that light of our heart where we need to go that intuition what you mentioned about yogi bhajan when we are having a really really great connection with that light that inner light then we are masters of that light oh, that's gonna be amazing <laughs>
0: oh, so yeah. good how many times a year do you run this at the moment
1: well, this oh, is the second nine. time. This okay. is the second one now in November. Very soon, in two weeks, we are having the next one. And I'm going by intuition. I'm going by intuition. There might be a next one in next April. Mm-hmm. Uh, last April was so good that Doris said to me, we were having a lunch in June. And she's like, Olga, well, why don't you have a next camp like already this year? I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. and um, Yeah. So we're probably going to have it two times
0: a year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just taking a mental note here, you know.
1: Yeah. I'm super like welcoming everybody to the camp and there's payment plans and because the place and the roster and the teachers are so high ticket that this is a high ticket camp. And yeah. I also didn't want to make it, you know, cheap is a relative word but to me i wanted to make this a, a camp which has the highest quality of every level so it's it's a big decision to invest into this and there is payment plans but i also wanted to have the people who are vibrating on that level and who are understanding that to invest into themselves that invest investment comes back manifold mm. Oh, no no
0: scarcity mindset over here. <laughs> yes, yes, 100%, yeah. 100%. Uh, well, I know it's going to be amazing and I do hope that anyone that's listening that is interested, I'll put some links in the show notes and you can also check out Olga's Instagram. That's how I connected with her and there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot there as well. You've got a website and... Yeah. Otherwise, if it's not November, then hopefully April. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to give your listeners a 500 euro discount
0: ticket. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Okay. We'll get onto this. We'll get onto this. We'll get this episode out asap so yeah. they there's not many of them
1: day. though, so you need to act on that
0: yes yeah how how big is the retreat how many people can you we
1: have take? we have quite quite limited amount so we have 10 people plus yeah. the mentor so it's all together 14 15 people
0: beautiful beautiful yeah well
1: we, we, sorry to interrupt you we have mentoring one-on-one mentoring with each ah. of the mentors so I want to give that space to everybody to be able to connect and reflect where they are with, with different, very different kind of mentors. So this is why I want, wanted to also have to have yeah. a limited amount of people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That intimacy is really important too, isn't it? Mm. That, that way everyone else can get to know each other too. And yeah, they're not just a yeah. number. Yeah, Yeah. Ah. Thank you so much Olga for Thank you Sat Nam. this conversation so Satnam it was it was really really the highlight of my day podcasting is the highlight of my life.
1: Oh. <laughs> but well, thank you so much you know for the questions which made me realize things of my own life like
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well thank you you're a beautiful storyteller so please keep sharing your oh. story with us. Yeah. Thank you. I will Thank you, Ruby. Bye.
1: Bye. (laughs)